It's official. The government is loaded. Last week, the Department of Finance projected a surplus of £10 billion for this year alone, rising to £16 billion in 2024. Over the next three years, there should be an extra €65 billion euro in total in the coffers for the government to spend. It's the largest surplus in the state's history. What should the money be spent on? I think they should do one thing with the £65 billion, and that's build houses. I think the government should follow through on their promise to end direct provision and provide proper uh, housing solutions for refugees. They should um, spend the money on reducing the national debt. What's clear is that the government will have a tough time deciding where to allocate the money. Will it choose to fund long-term goals such as climate action or pensions? We've an ageing population after all. Or with the general election on the horizon, will it try to win voters over with more immediate action? And will throwing money at our problems really solve them? I'm Bernice Harrison and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, I ask Irish Times columnist Cliff Taylor, how should the €65 billion surplus be spent? Cliff, over the next three years, the government is going to have a cumulative budget surplus of a projected $65 billion. So, Bonanza, surely this is the answer to all our problems. Maybe not, Bernice, but it is, it is a good thing. So uh, I suppose let's, let's reflect for a moment on where we were and where we've come from and stuff. We had big budget surpluses in the run-up to the financial crash. So right through the Celtic Tiger years, a lot of the time we were in surplus and perhaps didn't use the money very well or certainly didn't use the money very well back in those days. Then we had the big bust and we went into a huge budget deficit. And then gradually over the years ahead, crawled our way back into balance and, and, and then into surplus. Now, exchequer finances are, are kind of slightly different or are different from your household finances in the sense that a household needs to be in in surplus, if you like. Mm. A household needs income that's greater than its expenditure. It's a little bit different for, for a government. Governments can be in deficit for prolonged periods of time, provided they have a good credit rating. They can pay down their borrowings, etc. So it, so it is slightly different. But nonetheless, being in surplus gives you more options. Uh, it gives you more leeway. So a budget surplus essentially is when taxes are greater than spending. And if a government's job is to manage the money, one of the government's jobs is to manage the money on our behalf, why isn't it more common for a government to be in surplus? Because of the demands, I suppose, that are put on governments to do things. Uh, and the nature of the political system, I suppose, is to spend as much money as possible because politicians are faced with demands for welfare, for spending on houses, for spending here, there and everywhere, local projects, etc., etc. So demands on politicians are always to spend money and they tend to spend as much money as they have available in the famous, famous Charlie McGreevy dictum, you know, when I have it, I spend, I spend it, it. And, and when I don't, uh, I won't, which is the second bit often not, not quoted. But that tends to be the way the politics, not only in Ireland, but but, but everywhere operates. In fairness to the current government and the one before it, they have managed things pretty conservatively, I suppose, and, and pretty well in terms of the public finances over the last few years. So we have kind of crept into surplus before COVID. Then obviously there's a huge deficit during COVID because of all the money we spent and all the money we borrowed 
fortunately have very low interest rates. And everyone expected that we'd kind of crawl economically out of COVID. But in fact, we bounced the world economy, particularly the Irish economy, bounced out of COVID. Growth much stronger than expected. Tax revenues way ahead of what we expected, partly because of corporation tax, but also other stuff like income tax has been really strong as well. And VAT, because people are spending more back out living again. The consequence of all that is that we're we're faced with this huge, uh, very significant budget surplus, 10 billion this year, an estimated 16 the next year, heading into the 20s thereafter for the next couple of years. And the reason this has kind of struck us all now is that during COVID, the Department of Finance, in common with... um, authorities across Europe didn't forecast very far in advance because everything was so uncertain. So this is the first time in, you know, four or five years that they've actually sat back and said, well, what do we think things are going to look like in three or four years' time? So you mentioned corporate tax receipts. Yeah. Like, where would we be without them? Where would we be? We'd be in deficit without them, that's for sure. I mean, the growth of corporate tax receipts has been extraordinary from three or four billion a year back in 2015, 2014, 15 to 25, 27 billion now. I mean, huge increases, astronomical increases. And each year the department has forecast, oh, we think it'll be roughly the same as the year before. And each year it's been growing stratospherically. For the next number of years, as you can see in the forecasts, we are not projecting uh, that the level of corporate tax receipts uh, will fall. Uh, That day will come. Where would we be without it? We'd be in deficit. And in fact, the department have been doing this calculation over the last couple of years to try and keep us all from getting too excited, if you like, because that's their job. Uh, And they have looked at the corporation tax receipts and they've tried to estimate how much of it is what they call windfall tax receipts. In other words, tax receipts that aren't easily explained by the activity of these companies in the Irish economy, what they produce here, the people they employ, etc., and are more likely to be due to kind of international movements of money, some of them driven by tax considerations. So they now reckon that that is kind of heading well over 10 billion. Uh, So, you know, not far off half of all the corporation tax collected. You know, it's very hard to, to know whether that's correct. But what we can say for sure is that we are very reliant on a small number of very big companies. And I think that's why perhaps when these figures were sort of we came out last week. People, they, you know, there weren't people going, "Well, hey, we're rich," yeah, yeah. because for the last three months we've been watching the tech companies yeah. downsizing, downsizing, downsizing. All of a sudden, it's making people nervous. So while people, it's very hard for people who are outside this sort of world to understand economics. Everybody can understand this: sure. that if these taxes are built in huge part on a small number of companies, and we're seeing these small number of companies downsizing, downsizing. It's understandable that people are nervous. Yeah, I think there there will probably be some impact on corporate tax receipts from that over the next year or so. The first big marker of that will be June because the June returns are where the first idea that we'll have of what profit companies are expecting this year. Mm-hmm. And you would expect, because of all the things you've been talking about, that their profits of the big tech companies are going to be a bit lower this year. And so they'd be paying less tax here. Uh, On the flip side of that, the other big payers are the pharma companies who still seem to be doing really well. And there are kind of technical reasons relating to the the tax allowances that the big companies have here, which have sheltered a lot of their income from tax and which are now starting to run out 
meaning that more of their income here is exposed to tax, which may also be a positive. So I think the best way of looking at it is we've gone from a situation where everything was in a, a positive direction on corporation tax. You know, every possible advantage, every possible bounce of the ball went our way over the last five or six years. It's just been extraordinary to kind of a more plus and minus position. So some things arguing that corporation tax would remain strong, other things saying, hold on, wait a minute, mightn't be quite so good. So I don't think it's going to collapse. I think it'll probably be strong enough again this year. But you're right, the tech downturn does raise some question marks, all right. And isn't one of the reasons why the officials and all the various gurus and the institutions are are nervous about this, telling us not to go mad. Like your granny when she gave you money at Christmas, don't spend it all at once. So we we heard in our introduction at the top of the episode some of the ideas that people have for this surplus. So let's run through some of them. Look, the first one, it's obvious. It's it's going to be what most people say, build more houses. Yeah. Now, that seems like the obvious, sensible suggestion given the housing crisis. Are some of these resources going to go into increasing the government's building programme? Absolutely. There's no question about that. Uh, I suppose the the but there is that the economy and the housing sector are already pretty much operating at full capacity. So no matter how much money you throw at the housing issue at the moment, there's only a limited number of houses you can you can build for a couple of reasons. One is that there aren't enough builders around. Unemployment in the building sector is really low. Uh, spare capacity is low. If you try and get people to come in from uh, from overseas to help build houses, that that will happen. But where do they live when they come here and where can they live where they can afford to live? So we do have a problem there. And the other thing is that it, it, it takes time and too much time uh, to build houses. And we've started to see over the last couple of years all the blockages in the system, in the planning system, uh, in the development system, uh, in just getting projects going. So for those two reasons, I think the government will use some of the money to uh, to try and up the, the building programme. But this is a long-term problem and it's the solution is a is, is a long-term one as well and I guess one of the sensible things to do would be to try and put the housing program in the longer term on a on a really sustainable footing and make sure we've money not only just to build houses this year and next year but the year after etc etc even if things get a bit tighter in the public finances so the cost of living crisis money could be yeah. spent on that so what about we've seen some once-off measures yeah. in the last year what about more? I think we're going to see more once-off measures. And the reason for that is kind of a political compromise, really. So there will be people in Cabinet and people outside Cabinet and every lobby group is already sharpening its pencil, looking for lower taxes, looking for higher spending. And the more cautious ministers, the Michael McGrath's and the Pascal Donoghue's will be saying, hold on a second, we don't know if this money is going to continue ad infinitum, if you like, this corporate tax bonanza. We need to be careful. We can't be making longer term commitments for money to be spent year after year because the risk is that the revenue side of that disappears at some stage. So the once-off payments are a way around that, if you like. We know we have money this year. We know there are political demands to help families, uh, to help people stuck at the lower end of the income scale, the so-called squeeze middle, etc., etc. So are we going to see more once-off measures in the budget? Uh, Absolutely yes, I think. What shape will they take? Too early to say, but I think we've seen the template. We'll see what fuel prices are like, but probably special supports in that area as well. 
Will they go again with the energy credits? Don't know, but it certainly is would be an option. So I think definitely more once-off measures in the budget, and that's probably where the political compromise between a giveaway budget and something that might run us into trouble is going to is going to land, I think. And this is another thing that might feature in the budget. Why don't we just cut taxes or get rid of the USC. Remember the USC came in and it was only short term, wasn't it? Yeah. And here we still Did are. Did you believe that? <laughs> I know, raises about five billion a year. Well, they're not going to get rid of that. No, that would be the wrong thing to do um, for, for a couple of reasons. One is what we've spoken about, that we, you know, if you cut taxes, then the revenue is gone forever. And we don't know if the corporation tax revenue on the other side is going to keep coming in forever. In fact, there's a fair chance that, that, that it won't. The other reason not to cut taxes uh, at the moment or not to cut them in, a, in an aggressive way, at least, is that the economy is already bouncing along. Inflation is high. Uh, the goal of the ECB is to try and get inflation under control and it's in everyone's interest that it succeeds in that. So, you know, what we don't need is, I suppose, more yet more cash pumped into an economy that's already at full capacity. So... Long-term tax cuts or, or ma- major tax cuts, I think, would be would be a bad idea. It doesn't mean they're not going to happen. Now, there's there's kind of a small caveat to that, which is that because of the way the income tax system is structured, in times of inflation, the risk is that uh, if there aren't adjustments made each year, the tax authorities take a, a slightly larger chunk of your income as wages go up to compensate for inflation. So there is a case, I think, to adjust the system for that. So there will be some tax measures in the budget. And I think there is a case for that to happen. But when you talk about you know actual tax cuts, cuts in the tax burden, uh, not a good idea, I don't think. I'll continue my conversation with Cliff Taylor after this short break. So what about some big, bold moves like, you know, a vision thing? We're not very good on vision things, but what about spending it in, you know, one big chunk? So free public transport for everyone. Yeah, I think, look, I mean, if you want to look at a chunky way to spend it, you need to look at something, I think, related to the climate agenda and public transport, extending the cheap public transport, uh, having a free for a period or whatever, whatever way you want to do it, uh, you know, there is a case for, for using some of the money for, 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 for bold, I suppose, bold climate measures and also to fund the kind of climate investment that we need over the next five or ten years. It's not a very exciting subject, but the electricity grid is well behind where we need it to be. Huge investment is needed there. Huge investment is underway. But if there are areas where investment could be could be stepped up that would have a real positive long-term impact to the economy, that's the kind of thing you might be looking at or helping to develop the kind of offshore wind infrastructure that everyone is talking about, but nobody really seems to have got their head around. So yeah, there is, there is a case, I think, for, I mean, I suppose the boring economic thought is to be cautious and careful and all that, but, you know, politicians are going to want to to use this money, and, and rightly so, in uh, in some imaginative ways. So it's, it's it's a question of finding a halfway house between not putting the public finances in danger and using the public money in a really good way and, and spending it properly. Another another sort of vision thing: yeah. free childcare. Free childcare. It it faces the same problem, I suppose, as the tax cuts, etc. That it's it's going to cost you a lot of money over a ongoing period of time. But there is an interesting kind of thread to the argument there and an interesting idea, something that the trade union movement have championed, I suppose, over the last few years, which is the idea of the social wage. So in other words, 
when the last public sector wage talks were underway, part of the give and take was that unions would accept wage increases were a little, were a little bit below inflation. But in return, the government would promise to provide some services to people at a lower cost. And childcare is one of those. And I do think it is a debate that we're going to have over the next three or four years is what can and should people expect from the state uh, in return for the taxes they pay. And I suppose the budget surplus gives you a little more leeway to, to do that. But, you know, you talk about free public transport and free childcare. The question about providing things free is, number one, what value people put on them, but also the fact that you're giving them to the, to the really well off as well as the, to the people who really need them. And do you want to do that? And I'm not sure what the right answer to that is. Yeah, we've made the decision, you know, decision under Slauncher Care that GP care is going to be free uh, over a period of time for everybody. And that's probably a good thing. But again, you run into the capacity problem and the lack of capacity in the Irish economy. We don't, we don't have enough doctors um, to provide free mm. GP care, it appears, and we're not likely to have. So it's almost like the growth in the economy has kind of caught us out that we're left with a state and, and a body of services which are too small for the economy, uh, the size of the economy and the size of the population, which has grown much more quickly than, than had been anticipated. So why not spend it on a great big chunk of infrastructure? You know, uh, you, at the West Coast, big wind farms, the East Coast, move Dublin Port. Yeah, there is a case to spend it on, on infrastructure. But again, you know, without, without being too boring about it, you've got to have something that... Where the, where, the, where the benefits are demonstrably greater than the costs. Um, so infrastructure spending makes sense uh, in terms of spending once-off revenue because or revenue that may be once-off because it's a once-off cost. There may be operational costs beyond that, which need to be factored in, but the, the, the upfront capital cost is a once-off cost. So there is some sense in, in aiming at big infrastructure projects. The question is making sure that, as I say, they, they make sense. You know, there are questions there. There are questions there, for example, about the Metro project, the, the cost of which has exponentially increased. And nothing's happened. And nothing has happened. And uh, and it's been pushed out. It's been pushed out to the middle of, I think it's 2035 now, before the first trains might <laughs> be running. And I, you kind of believe it when you see it. Mm. And I live out that part of the, of, of the world in North Dublin, and I'm sure it'd be worth a few grand on my house value. But I'm just mm. asking myself now, in an environment where people are increasingly working at home for a couple of days a week, um, you know, do we need to go back and look at this again and say, well, how much is this going to cost? What's the benefit going to be? Is there another way of doing it? Without delaying it anymore, but Jenny, we can hardly delay it anymore as it is. So big ticket items, you know, the money spent right now, if they spent these billions, the billions and billions, yeah. it could go a long way to decarbonising the economy. Yeah. Now, I, I, is, I don't think at this point anybody's in any doubt that climate is the biggest crisis facing us by a mile. Why isn't that on the table? Why aren't we seeing immediately, as soon as the billions were announced, why aren't we seeing big plans? This is how we'd love to spend this yeah. for decarbonisation. I think we will see those, but unfortunately, climate change, cutting emissions is a kind of a longer term political issue, which everyone is in favour of, but we've done not that much about, I suppose, over many years. It's not, I suppose, the pressure point that a lot of politicians see on them at the moment. So when they knock on people's doors, what are people saying to them? They're saying, you know, I haven't enough money to live, childcare, uh, taxes, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they're the immediate pressure points. So yes, you're right. This is the, you know, cl 
climate crisis is the is, is the biggest crisis uh, that we face, and certainly the Greens, I think, will be pushing in government for uh, a lot of the money to be to be to be pushed in that direction over the next few years, and let's hope that it is, because there are kind of very significant costs on the other side of the ledger from that change as well. For example, if you look at motor taxes and all the associated taxes that we collect from fossil fuel cars at the moment, if all those are off the road, as we, as, as is the plan uh, over a period of time, then you could be talking of up to a billion in exchequer revenue every year. So, you know, while this the surplus that we're seeing over the next few years are, 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 are nice and very welcome and are going to pay for a lot, of, a lot of sins, if you like, in the next few years and hopefully pay for a lot of good things, if you look at over the next kind of 10 years, most of the experts say we're actually going to still need to raise more tax to pay for all these things that are coming down the road. Climate change is one of the big things coming down the road. Uh, and, and the other one is the ageing population, pensions, etc., etc., at, at the cost of that. If this money was resting in your account, Cliff. Where would you see the money go? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think putting some of the money into a fund, and that's not a fund that would be locked away forever and ever and, you know, would never do anything, but it's a fund that would be used for the benefit of people over the longer term. Is this the Sovereign Wealth Fund? Yeah, no. okay. it is, yeah. So we already, we already put money, when this surplus started to appear last year, uh, they started to bung money into a thing called the National Reserve Fund, which everyone calls the Rainy Day Fund. Uh, but they don't like calling it the Rainy Day Fund. Why? Because then it's the, always raining. So because then the op- well, it is always raining. And the opposition will then, then say inevitably, well, it's lashing rain. It's, you know, spend metaphorically yes, lashing yes, rain yes. at the moment. Please yeah. spend it. So they call it the National Reserve Fund and get quite cross when you try and call it the Rainy Day Fund. Uh, but Michael McGrath, the finance minister, is now talking about expanding that, if you like, into a much larger... I don't know what he's going to call it. National Investment Fund. He won't call it a Sovereign Wealth Fund. No, Sovereign that sounds, Wealth Fund. That sounds too kind of Qatar and United yeah. Arab, Arab Emirates, I think. But National Investment Fund or whatever. And the idea would be that some of that money would be, I presume, would be left in cash and some of it would be invested. And that it would be set aside to pay for these big costs that we face over the next kind of 10 or 15 years. So we spoke about climate change. We spoke about the ageing population and that the income coming from that fund, from those investments, would help pay those bills down the road. And that would be a real value. And it would help to, you know, we've gone through the last 20 or 30 years, those of us grey hairs remember, you know, two or three really big ups and then downs again. You know, the boom to bust cycle. We spend money when we have it. Then we suddenly run out. Everything, Everything has to be cut back. Taxes have to be increased. Spending has to be cut and crucially, investment spending is cut. And the, the price of investment spending being cut in the financial crisis, the housing shortage now and the shortage of all other stuff. So we need to try and use this money to avoid that boom to bust cycle repeating endlessly and to actually put some money aside so that when these corporate taxes do run out or when the economy turns down, whoever is in government isn't suddenly faced with uh the need to hike taxes or cut spending or cut investment, we can say, look, we have this money set aside for housing. It's going to get us through the next 10 years. We need a 10-year programme. As we've spoken about, politics isn't really good at 10-year programmes because everyone wants everything now. But if you want to use the money for the benefit of people and this kind of once-off period, you know, you might compare it to kind of oil revenues from Norway and the like. You know, you have to 
you're not quite sure when it's going to run out, but you have to reckon that it's going to run out at some stage or the, or the boomy bit of it's going to run out at some stage. So maybe and hopefully we get strong corporation tax revenues for the foreseeable future. But are they going to keep going up at the rate they have been? I don't think so. Might they be vulnerable two or three years? You'd have to reckon, you know, there could be a fall off at some stage. So it's April now. Yeah. The budget isn't till six months. Yeah. Is it highly likely we're going to see no big moves on how to spend this? We're just going to do a lot of talking about it <laughs> until October, until yeah. the, all the politicians have had their doors knocked on yeah. from every interest group in the state saying, we need the money, we need the yeah, money, yeah. we need the money. So nothing, nothing's going to happen then. And We saw the housing plan. Uh, so money has been spent there. Uh, I think they will probably try and hold the line, as you say, until the budget beyond that. And because we may start to see energy prices come down uh, and inflation go down, they may get away with that. But you're right, the, the doors are going to be knocked on, the pressure is going to build, the lobbyists are going to come up with 101 ideas to spend money. And in some ways, I suppose, while not as pleasant, um, life for a minister for finance and a minister for public spending is probably easier when times are tighter because the decisions are almost make themselves whereas now they have decisions uh, they have money they do face risks in spending it but it's going to be interesting politically and I think looking forward to the next general election and we're in the run up to that now and parties are going to start knocking together their manifestos it does change a lot in terms of those manifestos and in terms of the outlook for people heading for the next general election and the kind of proposals they put forward to the electorate we have seen a lot of warnings from the like of the Fiscal Advisory Council, the SRI, etc., and Central Bank over the last few years about how we need to plan to raise more taxes in the years ahead to pay for the bills we face. That's going to be a hard message to sell now when you've got a 65 billion surplus over the next few years. Thanks very much, Cliff. Thanks, Bernice. That's all for today. For more Irish Times journalism and to read more of Cliff Taylor's analysis, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Monday. <laughs>